We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking down another pre-draft rookie draft. That's what we'll be talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who continues to churn out fantastic stuff over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we've been talking about Dynasty a lot lately. I know for the listeners who pay attention um, or, or you know listen to all of our shows, they've, they've probably heard me talk in the past that. I'd kind of been souring on Dynasty a little bit, probably around last summer when before you and I started this podcast. And every time you know you and I would wind up talking about Dynasty, I was sometimes a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I really want to talk Dynasty. But doing this show with you and all the conversations we've had, you've definitely reinvigorated that part of me as a player. I'm I'm very excited about uh, some of these rookie drafts I've been doing. This one is a league that I'm in that you're not in. And I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the moves that I've made in it. And I've already made four trades and moved around a bunch. Um, I've made five picks now. I didn't enter the rookie draft with any of those picks. We're sitting at 208 and I'm, I'm still on the clock currently as we're recording this with potentially my sixth pick. This one was a pick of, of mine coming in. But I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying sort of this newfound enthusiasm for Dynasty and, and had a, having a blast in this rookie draft where I've moved around a bunch. So I wanted to get some of your thoughts on some of the moves I made. But when I sent it to you, you noticed some other moves. And one that stood out to you right away was about Brees Hall. And you had been interested in talking about him. So I think we're going to kick off with a, a pretty huge trade that kicked off this particular draft to uh, acquire Brees Hall. So that'll be a fun one to talk to as well. But how are you doing? How excited are you for the, the NFL draft here? You know, we're a week away. We are. And I just don't feel like I've ever had this much fun with fantasy. And obviously I've been doing it a long time and, and loved it or, or else wouldn't still be doing it. And so uh, to have the 2022 offseason be such an adventure and such an exciting thrill ride, I think, has been just such a great experience. And you mentioned these rookie drafts. We've covered several of them. And one of the things we like to do with the rookie drafts is sort of frame out some of the important concepts for listeners and for dynasty managers, also for, you know, redraft and best ball, because these things are very relevant as 
listeners are tying up their final sort of pre-NFL draft best ball. And then we're going to have just a huge flurry of massive best ball tournament types of things going on immediately following the NFL draft. And it can be helpful, I think, to make sure we kind of calibrate our expectations pre-draft and that contrast post-draft. It's not that the post-draft is wrong. But we do want to make sure we're not making such big moves based on landing spots, especially if the players don't actually fall. Um, you know, if you're a Hakeem Butler or, you know, you fall out of the draft entirely like an Alan Lazard, a player that we liked and stuck around and is now a relevant fantasy player. But there were several years in there where obviously he wasn't going to be particularly relevant after not getting drafted. So there are some moves that matter from that perspective, but there are also some things where maybe the exact order of some running backs shouldn't change a ton what we think. Having another back on an NFL roster shouldn't necessarily change what we believe to the point where you're moving him down big chunks because we know that the talent is going to determine who pushes their way through. And that's even more true at wide receiver where teams have multiple starters. And as you always like to point out, drawing targets is the receiver skill it's what's going to determine whether or not they are a valid nfl fantasy player for you and so making sure we know what we think about these guys before the nfl draft actually happens i do think is important that's one of the reasons why i like these pre-nfl draft rookie drafts but also just i love them because they're fun and so you mentioned this trade that starts it off and kind of what i'm seeing across a variety of formats is that in superflex you have those picks at the top are either Malik Willis, who very controversial, incredibly high upside, downside through the floor, a risky pick, even in Superflex, but a justifiable one. And then Brees Hall, and maybe a little bit more of a controversial back than you might think considering what his profile is. But in your draft here, we get Willis number one, we get Brees Hall number two, and that is the result of a blockbuster trade that Curtis Patrick makes to move into the 102. Yeah, Curtis moved the 111, 201, and Elijah Moore for the 102 while it was on the clock, knowing he was getting Hall, and the 302. This is going to be an interesting league. We had a couple people uh, leave the league and need to be replaced, and we have always done the rookie draft before the NFL draft, and there was a lot of talk about dispersal or how to handle it. And so what ended up happening, uh, sort of a creative solution was proposed that we're doing the rookie draft before the NFL draft still to get it in, kind of keep that on schedule. But then we're going to do a dispersal with protected players, and you can protect as many as you want after the NFL draft. And so some of these moves uh, that we'll talk about are, are definitely influenced by that, by this element of kind of a unique, thing where we're going to do you know a dispersal later and so maybe positioning for a dispersal there may be an argument to try to consolidate talent at the same time we're also transitioning to a best ball which would be probably an argument to get as much depth as possible and so there's you know multiple ways you might want to play that it's definitely played into some of the moves that i've made and and i just want to lay that out because i'm not sure how much that may have or may not have influenced curtis's valuation but that was you know, an important element, I think, for me, certainly, like I said, when I was considering some of my trades. But Brees Hall ends up going for for all this value. And you thought that was pretty interesting. And you were just telling me sort of before the show, basically how excited you are about Brees Hall. 
I was. And Hall, interesting, because he doesn't pop in some of the scouting things quite to the level of previous superstars. But at the same time, we have to remember that Jonathan Taylor, who everyone gets compared to now, and Brees Hall is a legitimate comparison to. I mean, he was the third running back that came out in terms of that class. And despite all of these massive breakaway runs that he had at the collegiate level, which he's been able to translate to the NFL level, and despite the just otherworldly combine, there were still a lot of questions because people are saying, well, he's just you know running through this hole and then running for a touchdown. You know, anybody can do that. Well, I mean, obviously everybody can't, or people would have Jonathan Taylor type numbers in college. People would have Brees Hall like numbers in college and they don't. That's one of the reasons why this class is not particularly deep. When we kind of look through here, one of the other elements that's interesting with Hall is that he's projected from sort of the 25-ish to the 45-ish range in the reality draft. But I guess I wouldn't take that that seriously because the difference between these guys, especially in the last you know seven or eight years who go in the top 10 versus the players that go in the second round, I mean, there's not a lot profile-wise that actually makes them different. What is different is whether or not there's a team that is kind of crazy enough to use a top 10 pick at running back now there are some other ways you can blow your top 10 pick as well and if you get a generational runner or not necessarily even generational runner but an impact player if you get a christian mccaffrey then i mean you're going to be very happy with that as your top 10 pick but we have guys you know like dalvin cook like jonathan taylor and some of the other backs who also went in that class late who you know you could make an argument for them in the top 10 of other drafts so i wouldn't look at that part as being something that necessarily distinguishes the other thing and i like to (laughs) kind of throw in some uh sort of bold prediction-ish kinds of takes at the very end of our shows so that listeners when they do stick around can get you know maybe a fun thought that i had late but i'll go ahead and throw in here that i think there's a chance actually that we see a surprise and that Brees hall goes in the first 15 picks that there's a team out there who isn't giving that away because we know just a couple years ago there were teams that wanted javante williams people moved in front of them for him you know if you want Brees hall in the top 15 picks you're not going to go tell people that uh i think he's their chance he goes early because of this profile you look at him in the box score scout you can give him a number of different draft slots, but you're going to pull up some guys sort of big picture like Dalvin Cook, like Todd Gurley, like Ezekiel Elliott. You pull him up in the workout explorer and the the most similar guy is Adrian Peterson, right? And then you pull him up in the running back prospect lab and he gets a 98 score and some of the other names again in that range are guys like Saquon Barkley, Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, Darren McFadden, Dalvin Cook. It's not like you can't miss. I mean, you don't have, you can't miss prospects, I don't think. But when you look at what Hall did in college and then the ridiculous numbers that he put up at the combine, and think just, I mean, that validates what he did, even if his running style, his gait, maybe even, doesn't look as fun and as explosive as some other backs who are more visually dynamic. The combination of production and actual tested athleticism more or less confirms for us that he's that guy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, obviously exciting. I think the one thing I want to reiterate from all of that, sort of the most, is this idea that 
especially I think it's it's very different between positions, but especially at running back where you noted that going in the second round is not any kind of concern really at all because we we do have to keep in mind the the larger NFL trends and and it didn't used to be the case necessarily or it was more common obviously 10 years ago for running backs to go in the top 10 we just don't see it as much even in the last three years in the last five years there's just a lot more understanding at the NFL level of sort of you know positional value if if you want to just put it that way Certainly there's a lot of people that point out that it's pretty unfair to players who play running back that they get sort of treated this way. And and that's, you know, totally valid. But when we're sitting here analyzing it, number one, the, the one thing that we have to keep in mind is running backs can be more productive right away at the NFL level. That's been true for a long time. We, we still want our receivers to be productive right away, but there's, you know, a little bit more of an understanding with receivers, especially with, with the rookies that we're targeting, we might actually be expecting them to sort of be building through their rookie year, getting better throughout that rookie year, maybe not hitting from week one. Now, obviously like a Jamar chase is, is a little bit of a different story, but, and, and that, that sort of thing can happen at running back too. Javante Williams, for example, maybe will be a, a year two explosion if Melvin Gordon's not back, but the possibility I mean, when we think about it from dynasty, we want to be targeting these rookies and second year running backs regardless in all formats. You know, that's one of the big things that, that you and I talk about in all formats. And in dynasty, there's this argument for targeting them, getting a lot of early production, seeing their value probably increase. You look at a guy like Najee Harris last year was good, maybe not amazing, but that volume was enough that his value has, has been great. You can go and then you can go trade them again. You get all this production, you can probably go trade them and then take the next year's rookie running back in your dynasty league and continue doing this. And I think it's a smart, you know, long-term process probably to, to a certain degree. So there's that, like, that's one really important element. And as we consider, you know, draft capital on those things, it's not, you know, an issue that they might go into the second round. You mentioned Taylor going, you know, 41st overall, he was the third running back in that class. Obviously you as a cheese fan will always, always bring up that Clyde Edwards, the was one of the ones that went ahead of him to the Chiefs. Chiefs and it's not you know it for running back it is so situation based it is so workload based it is so you know we do care about talent but it is so dependent on that landing spot and and basically adequate draft capital are they getting enough positionally are like Taylor went 10 picks behind CEH who was the first running back that season he obviously wasn't a guy who fell very very deep and and now suddenly we're getting a little bit more information that maybe the NFL doesn't see him as a starter that's that's a perfectly fine uh, landing spot. Whereas a wide receiver in that range, maybe not quite as exciting as we start to get into the middle of the second round these days, because receivers still can go and, and more receivers are going in the first round. Now you're starting to talk about at the receiver position, you're talking about the ninth or 10th best receiver in the class. And maybe the NFL is not seeing that player as favorably. Um, so yeah, very important to consider, I think positionally what the draft capital actually means a high second round pick is a big difference for, for the two different, it's, it's not a death now for a receiver either, but it's a big difference, I think for the two different positions. But what do you think about this trait where, I mean, obviously Elijah Moore is an ascending talent, very good player. It's super flex. So the, the one eleven and the two Oh one, both, you know, pretty valuable picks because the quarterbacks are going to go. 
what from like a value perspective as as you know highly as you think of Brees Hall what did you think about this trade I mean I I think Curtis I think it was a really fair trade personally I think you know obviously he gave up quite a bit but he puts himself in a position where look he's gonna probably get Brees Hall production right away and also I think a value gain for all the reasons you just said and then potentially could trade him after getting that production for a similar package a year or two from now yeah I'm looking at my dynasty super flex rankings with the tiers jonathan taylor the only running back in that top tier that reflects three first round picks as sort of the overall trade value christian mccaffrey javante williams deandre swift and Brees hall in the second tier and hall at the bottom of that as you and i were talking before the show i was thinking i need to maybe tweak that a little bit because the more i look at this the more i think that hall probably deserves to move ahead of swift and williams and maybe even mccaffrey to the number two running back now part of the reason that i have him at the bottom of that group is just to reflect the risk that we still have with the nfl draft i mean there are some situations he could get drafted into either because the offense is very poor or the competition is more than you would want to see that he wouldn't justifiably move ahead of that group he'd still be very high but wouldn't justifiably move ahead of that group right away and so i want to reflect that risk at the same time when you're getting hall you're getting this young player who has just so many different ways to number one score points for you and number two improve and increase his trade value for you as you go over time whereas in all likelihood mccaffrey is going to be dropping down a little bit in trade value as you go through these next couple of years so we want to think about it in those terms. And one of the things I brought up to you was that we have been debating trying to move for McCaffrey in our Rotoviz Triflex League over with the FFPC. And one of the offers that we made was similar to this, where we offered Elijah Moore, I believe, a late one and a mid two. And a mid two in this particular draft could be a little bit different than an early two. And so then we kind of look at the players who went in those spots. And we'll be looking about this again in a second because one of these guys goes to you. But the 111 and the 201 are Desmond Ritter and George Pickens. And so you're moving, and it could have been different guys, but to kind of conceptualize it, you're moving Elijah Moore, Ritter, and Pickens for one player in Brees Hall. You and I did a show a little bit earlier in the offseason looking at the way that current best ball adp would give us a sense of what some of these dynasty trade values should be and the fact that elijah moore was going so early in these redraft types of formats gave us a sense that look i mean you and i are very high on elijah moore the numbers for him were fantastic when he played last season even within this horrible situation with the jets he was absolutely electric to where you can look at him and dream of him being you know the next marvin harrison or a player like that that type of player would have huge value on the other hand, one of the things that Curtis is obviously trying to do here is to minimize a little bit of his risk and say, look, I mean, the Jets want to add another receiver. They still have Zach Wilson, who I'm an optimist and enthusiast. And so I think that Wilson still has a chance. But after you look at that rookie season, I mean, there are some real problems. I mean, his rookie year comps are absolutely terrible. Most of those guys do end up falling out of the NFL. So you have a chance that Moore is number one with a bad QB in 2022, and then in 2023, they have to start over. Those things are going to you know, take a big chunk out of his points 
if you move him now at a level where his trade value is already high, you don't have to deal with those risks. At the, at the same time, when you do a three for one, then you're centering a lot of your risk now in the health and also a little bit in the landing spot of a Brees Hall. I think this is interesting because we made a similar trade for or a similar offer for McCaffrey. The response we got was that you know the pieces we were offering our league mate liked but didn't like them at the value for McCaffrey but if I'm thinking that Hall actually now is a similar dynasty value to Christian McCaffrey then I mean this would at least be a justifiable trade and a very balanced trade from the perspective of you know we were valuing more and these picks in a similar fashion in moves we were trying to make in our own league yeah, absolutely. And we're still, I think, a little bit hopeful that we might be able to get something done. But um, that's I, I think you, you said all that. Well, the other thing that you pointed out to me was it was interesting to see sort of the order of the receivers in the first round. And this gets into some of the moves that I made that I wanted to get your thoughts on. I was sitting at 108 and it started Willis, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker went 103. And then Garrett Wilson goes 104, Drake London 105, and then Jamison Williams goes 106. So you see Traylon Burke starting to fall a little bit, and he was available a pick ahead of me, which was the first move that I went out and made. Uh, we were just talking about Zach Wilson. I came into this came into this draft quarterback being pretty thin. I had Matthew Stafford. I had Ben Roethlisberger, who is obviously now retired. And I had Zach Wilson. And last year that managed in a league that was not best ball. It, it, you know, I managed to be able to get two starting quarterbacks every week. And, you know, it was okay. It was obviously not good quarterback scoring with that group. But what Jonathan Taylor's actually on this roster and have a have a pretty strong or not even necessarily that strong of a roster, but it was good enough that I was able to make the playoffs and but not really compete for the title seriously. We just did this startup two years ago, the year before I was able to get to the championship and then get blown out. My team has not necessarily been good enough yet to compete, but I, I decided that in this draft, what my goal was going to be was to get into those rookie quarterbacks that we've talked about. And we'll get into sort of how I, I went about that. I think I wound up paying a pretty strong price to do that. And some of what we've talked about, about them being a little bit undervalued, I think they were properly valued where I, you know, where I wound up getting them. And so not necessarily thrilled with how that went. And, and again, part of why I want to talk to you about it, but the first move I made was to deal Wilson to move up from 108 to 107 and then also get the 207 and 209. And I actually got a question about this on Twitter that it seemed like I was selling a little bit low on Wilson. The 207 and 209 were pretty important to me because I feel like and felt like when I was looking through you know, all of the picks that may go before that point, that that was going to be right before sort of a drop off. And there are some valuable players still going to be available there that maybe weren't available. or were not going to be available at 212. For example, my, my initial offer was actually to go up to 105 and try to get the 203 and the 205 using Wilson. And that was close as, as I understood it. But the person I was discussing with didn't necessarily want to move both of those earlier second round picks. And, and so anyway, I wind up moving up one pick to take Traylon Burks. You said you had some uh, some thoughts on sort of the the order that these receivers went, and they go Wilson, London, Williams, and then Burks to me, and then Alave. Chris Alave winds up going uh, right behind Burks, which we tend to see Alave be 
sort of there always after the other receivers go. But Williams going ahead of Burke's pretty interesting. It is, and yet I, I don't think necessarily a surprise as we see Burks start to fall down mock draft boards. The flip side of that that we've talked about a little bit is just that that could put him with the Packers or the Chiefs. And then I think he is the wide receiver one. Burks is the guy who has the best adjusted production index score in Travis May's research. He has kind of the best combination of traits in the machine learning research that Blair Andrews has done. I think that he's the guy who has the most total upside in this draft. I know that you selected him early in one of your recent drafts, but then the kind of fun thing about this draft and why it's so fascinating at receiver is you have these kind of two buckets of sort of weird risk where you've got the Ohio state guys and the guys who were connected to Ohio state in one way or another. And then you've got the big guys in Drake London and Traylon Burks. Burks basically in terms of the way he was used in college, which some people consider to be a red flag. And I think is a red flag from the perspective of we don't know how some of the other things are going to translate. And if you can do some of those other things and you think, well, what did he do? And, and you think of guys like Debo Samuel and LaVisca Chenault, you're like, well, I mean, those are, those are two ends of the spectrum in terms of how that's working at the NFL level. And, you know, if you get Debo in the Burks package, then you're very excited. If you get LaVisca Chenault, then, you know, you're hoping that LaVisca Chenault turns out to be good. And that isn't just the guy he was the first couple of seasons with Drake London. We have this more limited sample and you have the red flags that come with some of the things that he's done at the same time on the high end of that you're basically thinking okay well this could be mike evans plus right and if you get mike evans plus anywhere in a draft but certainly at 105 you're going to be very excited about that so ben you said you wanted to move up to 105 who would you have taken if you got that pick i mean was burks going to be your pick at five so Wilson goes four, London five, Williams six, Burks seven, Olave eight. And you obviously moved up from that pick. So you had a, well, you could argue that you had a tear break or just that you actually liked the 207, 209 that you got more. We'll talk about that in a minute. How, how do you see these receivers coming off the board here? You know, what was your strategy with it? Yeah, so um, you kind of hit on my trade thought process which was I, I was looking at the rotaviz dynasty trade tool that i talked about on prior shows i think is an awesome tool and an easy way to get player valuations i was looking at uh your rankings there and you had uh zach wilson in a range where he was worth two seconds i thought those seconds would be before sort of the tier break and still worthwhile picks and potentially maneuverable in the future in, in, in the in the sense that I might be able to use them to even move up a little higher if I had earlier second round targets and, and you know, a little foreshadowing, I did use one of them to move up again. And so part of it in my mind was, okay, well, Zach Wilson's probably worth roughly two seconds. I don't believe in his skill set that much. I took him last year more of a, as sort of like a value pick in the later first round where it was kind of hard to pass him up as you know, basically the locked in second round or second overall pick at this point, it was a, a pre NFL draft draft last year, but you know, you'll recall that Zach Wilson was basically locked into that landing spot with the jets. It was very, very widely known that that was going to happen. And so I took him 
on this idea that like, okay, maybe he's sort of this Justin Herbert of, of this class that people are a little bit down on, but has a lot of potential and not a very great rookie year. And so my mindset was, okay, well, maybe I should try to move out of that after one year. And it's something that you talk about a lot where when we do take these rookies, even if we don't necessarily like them and don't really necessarily believe in them and they don't have a great rookie year, you still maintain pretty good value. Don't feel like I lost a ton of value to get these two second round picks back. And then maybe if there was a little bit more that I was wanting back, you know, that, that move up was justifying it. Cause I did feel like there was a pretty huge teardrop from Burks to anyone else at that point. It was like, okay, well I can make sure that I get Burks instead of hoping that he doesn't go at 107 and then not really knowing what I would do at 108 probably would have taken a lave, but I, I do think that's a pretty big gap. The, the answer to your question about what I was going to do at 105 is I was going to take Traylon Burks. And I think, I mean, I, I'm developing this take on Burks that he's going to be the receiver that's going to move up in all formats the most after the draft, that he's the one that's being hit the hardest right now by not even necessarily certainties expected draft position has already been really baked in with Burks. This idea that he's not going to go, you know, in the, in the early part of the first round, which isn't a certainty, right? We don't know that for sure. That is sort of the expectation. One of the big data points in that is that the NFL invited the other four receivers to the actual draft. So Wilson, London and Jameson Williams and Chris Olave will all be at the draft. Traylon Burks will not be. That I think has influenced a lot of the mock drafts as well, and and probably rightfully so. And now there's talk that Burks might not even be the fifth receiver off the board in the in the real NFL draft, that someone else might sneak in ahead of him. I still think it's very likely from everything that we've heard and seen for from throughout the entirety of the offseason that he's going to go in the first round, especially because a lot of this these comps that have been made about Burks are that he's sort of Debo-like and things. And all we've heard all offseason is that teams want to find the next Debo. Um, these guys that can do all these multiple uh, types of things. Even look at like a guy like LaVisca Chenault, who's had two really bad seasons. We started to get trade buzz around him, that teams wanted to acquire him. They saw, they thought he still could play. You know, you look at the fantasy industry, I don't think people are anywhere near as optimistic about Visca broadly as it sounds like the NFL, some people in the NFL still are. And it's this, this class of player that I think the NFL is actually pretty intrigued with. And so my mindset is, okay, we're, people are already starting to look poorly on Burks because of expected draft capital that we don't know for sure is going to be terrible. Even if he did slip into the top part of the second round, I think that's already sort of baked in. People have started to say maybe he falls in the second round. I don't think that's going to happen. Like I said, I think it's very likely he stays in the first. And so it's like we're already valuing him at this draft position that he hasn't actually landed at yet. So that's the first thing. The second thing is people keep talking about he's he's hard to project the fit to the NFL. But I've been looking at some of the data that I've seen on places like Twitter um, about the different types of routes and where people have gotten their targets. And one of the big knocks on Burks is that he got so many of his targets at or around the line of scrimmage or out of the backfield was used in those sort of Debo-ish type ways. And yet, uh, I think it was Pat Corain who wrote a little bit about him where if you take out those screens and those those things, he still had a dom, you know, a dominator rating high enough to qualify for a breakout season. His production was strong, very, very, very strong in the SAC that we can actually control for some of that other usage and not necessarily have to see it as a bad thing. Pat was also telling me uh, last night when I was talking to him that he has like 50 something 20 plus yard targets over the course of his career and his efficiency on those are absolutely through the roof. I think he told me his yards per target was over 25 yards per target. So Burks has 
shown an ability to get down the field. It's really interesting when we talk about these sort of narrative type driven things that Drake London is this contested catch player who I think people are saying, well, I can visualize how he's going to play. There's been these like Mike Evans comps and things. But you look at Drake London versus Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks actually, even with all of those massive high rates of targets at or around the line of scrimmage for his career, had an average depth of target two yards higher than London. Burks actually saw his average target further downfield, despite all those looks right by the line of scrimmage. One of the comps I've seen from London is that he's sort of going to be a Michael Thomas or need to be because his ADOT was sub 10 and, and got a lot of his work in sort of this big underneath role, sort of like, you know, the wide receiver as a tight end, Michael Thomas type role. There's not a ton of big receivers that have done what Michael Thomas has, has done. Uh, a lot of those roles are obviously focused on these fast, quick slot receivers. And so I, I, the, the, I'm beating around the bush here, but my thought on Burks is we've seen him do enough different things and do them successfully that this, this narrative has become, I don't know how to project him to the NFL. And the way I'm looking at it is he's versatile. He can do some of the things that actually make him easier to project because almost no matter what team takes him and how they might use him, I don't think he's going to struggle at those things. He showed an ability to get down the field. He showed an ability to win in a lot of different types of roles. I don't think he has to be in the Debo role. I think he's got a big body type and uh, yak ability that, I mean, I don't like early in AJ Brown's career. One of the things I wanted out of AJ Brown or out of the Titans regarding AJ Brown was for them to throw him more balls near the line of scrimmage so he could create yak. But if, if Burks gets into a, a situation like that, where he's not getting that type of work near the line of scrimmage, I think he can still win down the field and create yak down the field as well. And so there's this thing where, because he's done so much, because he was so versatile at the college level, he was a big slot, he played outside a little bit. People seem to think that that means his landing spot matters more. And my argument is that means his landing spot matters less. Hey, Rotoviz fans, this is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code rv radio 2022 at checkout it gives you full access to all of our content and tools and again that's rv radio 2022 at checkout for 10 percent off a one-year rotoviz subscription enjoy the podcast we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what I'm hearing from you is that we have a combination of A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel. So I think listeners are going to be pretty excited about that. I would throw out, even if you get the poor man's version of both of those guys combined, you're going to be pretty excited about that. The other thing I'm hearing for you from you is that I do need, even though those touches around the line of scrimmage and those touches deep would replace very well what Tyreek Hill did for the Chiefs. Obviously, those guys play differently, but in terms of how Hill was actually used on targets, that I need to be readying myself for during the actual draft itself that the Chiefs are going to pass on Traylon Burks and, and take like Alec Pierce. <laughs> I, I, I hope not, because I still want Burks to land with a good quarterback, obviously, but I do think it's, um, yeah, I mean, that would not be good for the Chiefs. The other, the other player I wanted to mention, actually, while I was talking about him, this, this was something that happened with Justin Jefferson, was where we were really concerned about his slot role. But one of the really interesting things about his profile was as a sophomore, even when else you didn't throw for – they had half as many passing yards as they did when, when Jefferson was a junior. And Jefferson was playing outside that year. His dominated rating, or his, at least his market share of yards, was higher as an outside receiver. And I thought that was a pretty interesting note about him coming in where he had been successful outside and inside. And then when he got drafted, we were all concerned. I, I know I was a little concerned. Oh, well, they probably see him as a slot because that's where he had the most raw stats in college. And Adam Thielen has been the slot. And so now he's going to get this sort of digs treatment where he's pushed outside and it's not going to work. It has been no issue for Jefferson because Jefferson can play everywhere. And that versatility doesn't even mean that he has to line up in a, a given spot every single down. He can play inside. He can play outside on different downs. And that flexibility is a good thing. And that's, I mean, again, I, for me with Burks, like it, it, what he showed us is that he can run a lot of different types of routes from a lot of different alignments. You look at a guy like Drake London, I'm actually concerned. Like, yeah, you can see that how an NFL team might use him and we can say and hope that the team that drafts him is going to use him that way. But I'm actually concerned about him because we didn't see a ton from him in different usage. He wasn't great his freshman and sophomore year, very strong junior season in a certain type of role. What if he gets draft, drafted and used differently than that what if he is treated as more of a downfield guy and that a dot stuff that i was talking about actually becomes a concern he doesn't separate enough down the field that you know the contested catch stuff has been widely discussed i still think london has a lot to like in his profile and i don't think he's like far behind burks or anything but what do you think about that idea that like a guy like him is actually the one that needs the right landing spot and the right type of usage to really maximize his potential vis-a-vis burke that could definitely come into play. I don't think that you want to be a jump ball receiver at the NFL level. Now, if you can add that in, I mean, if you're a contested catch guy, that's going to be fantastic, but it needs to be both. You have to be able to separate and make the contested catches. One of the things that you and I kind of jokingly go back and forth on, and now I feel like I've lost because Matthew Stafford is the perfect quarterback for Allen Robinson. But even before the collapse last season, Robinson is not separating, right? He's not actually getting open. His quarterbacks are forcing him the ball because they don't have other options. And then Robinson is able to make some of those plays. So if your quarterback is willing to still target you and you are a good contested catch guy, 
that can work out. But when you're looking for stars, you're looking for guys who do all of these different things, get open, and then you know, can go up in the air and make plays to where the quarterback's like, you're covered, I'm going to throw you open at that point too. That's how you end up getting a guy who is a 28, 29, 30, 31% team you know, market share type of guy at the NFL level because they can do everything. But the other element of this that I think is interesting, and one of the reasons why the analytics, I think, work out for us in some of these situations is that receivers at the college level are reliant upon the quarterback that they have and the coaching staff that they have, the scheme that they are put into, and you're asked to thrive within that, not necessarily do things that you're not allowed to do within that scheme. And you do see situations where some college coaches are going to put guys in situations to succeed because they couldn't otherwise. But you also have situations where the number one thing you want to do is just see a guy who dominates within the context of what their role is. And so I think that we can look back and, and you see different things and you see like Nikita Harry, for example, and people look back and be like, well, you know, we should have known that it wasn't going to translate well to the NFL because the things that he did in college those aren't the things that we want to see from NFL receivers. And instead, the takeaway should be that you're going to have some misses and not everybody translates. Not everybody has necessarily either the work ethic or the ability to actually make that jump in the way that exactly their profile and their skill set really did work. But you shouldn't go back and be like, now we're going to try and avoid those types of players because big picture players who are really good are much more likely to succeed than taking someone else who was less successful. Like, I like their traits. I think that this is going to work out. What we see over and over and the articles that I've done for this site, kind of looking at, you know, who are the guys that emerge late in rookie drafts? For example, you're talking about athletic freaks and guys who are, who are hugely productive. You don't go back through there and say, okay, well, this was a guy who actually wasn't good in college and is a mediocre athlete, but he had traits and an NFL team was able to unlock that. You don't see those kinds of things. And so, well, I think that it's really cool to have all of this extra information. And Scott Barrett had a lot of cool information on OT that's going to release tomorrow, talking about how some of these Ohio State guys manifested at the college level. But I do think that we want to be looking at players who were good big picture and believe that their teams are going to then unlock what they do at the NFL level. We do know that the quarterbacks that these guys get at the NFL level are going to be hugely responsible for some of the efficiency elements. And that goes back to the targets per route run. We're looking for guys who can get open, guys who can draw targets. And year after year, your best way to get those guys is going to be to get the guys who were dominant college players. I, I love your point about Nikhil Harry, because I think a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to figure out how we avoid the Nikhil Harry type, like you said, how do we avoid making that mistake again? And what I'm hearing from you has sort of been my mindset, which is how do I put myself in position to make that bet again? Because I'm comfortable with the decision to draft Nikhil Harry a couple of years ago in Dynasty. I think it was a smart decision based on all of the information that we have and continue to have about these types of players that produce in these ways like you are talking about right now. The, the answer shouldn't be like you just said, that we need to try to avoid this exact type of player like Nikhil Harry, which first of all, not no two player is identical, 
right? And so there's, uh, and you mentioned some of the off-field stuff that we can't always quantify. And Harry's had some injury issues and other things, but work ethic, whatever it may be, you know, culture fit, if you want to throw that out there with the Patriots, because we know that's been a big thing with the Patriots. But I want to be in a position where I can make that bet again on a similar player. I would make that bet again, obviously not knowing what we know now, but if we didn't know, and we had a very similar type of prospect, and especially if the market is now trying to discount those specific things about Nikhil Harry, I would want to make that bet again and be comfortable just saying that Nikhil Harry was a miss, like you said. And, you know, we look at the Nikhil Harry pick for the Patriots, and one of the things the Patriots have done, actually, is to pick a bunch of guys who actually weren't that great at college players. And then they get this chance, and they pick a guy who actually did check a few more of the boxes, and they get criticized for that as well. And you have all the narrative stuff coming out where his scouts were telling him, you know, Debo, A.J. Brown. And, you know, it's just the hindsight element of that is so glaring because you're looking at it and you're saying – I mean, now Bill Belichick doesn't understand football because he picked Harry over Brown and Seam. I mean, all three of those guys looked like good prospects. We obviously loved AJ Brown, and he's been on the other side of that where it's just it's manifested in the NFL in such a fantastic way. But you know, if Bill Belichick can miss on a guy who looked good like that, then you know, obviously fantasy managers are going to miss on it from time to time. You prefer to see them miss on someone who checks some very important boxes than to reach three or four rounds and, and do kind of the Chiefs thing with the running back position where it's this hubris element and overconfidence element where they're saying, you know, look, here are some traits we think can work. I mean, that didn't work for them either. So now they have a situation where they've got Kendrick Bourne and, and Ben, you know, if you got Kendrick Bourne, you were, you were all set. So let's get into these trades that you made that are really cool in terms of the way that this draft developed. Yeah, so after Burks, Alave goes... And full disclosure, when I traded for the 207, 209, I mean, I didn't think that I'd get a QB there, but we had talked about one of your drafts, uh, a super flex draft, where some of the QBs had fallen enough that uh, I thought it was at least in the realm of possibility, but not not likely at all. But Kenny Pickett goes 109, Matt Corral goes 110. And right before Corral went, once Pickett had gone off the board at 109, I was kind of, kind of of the mindset that, I was going to need certainly going to need to move back up at that point. We were, we were going to need a lot more picks and people to not value the quarterbacks uh, before the quarterbacks got dipped into again for me to have a shot anywhere, you know, after the midpoint of the second round. And, and like I said, I didn't think it was a likely scenario that I would wind up with any quarterbacks at 207. But at this point, I'm sitting on just Matthew Stafford. And I did want to try to tap into these rookie QBs. Like I said at the top of the show, I thought. You know, trading out Zach Wilson and getting two rookie QBs, for me, since we've already seen a year from from Wilson, maybe provided more overall upside to my roster. And I'm hopeful that both of those guys could hit and potentially hit in a way that's better than Wilson. But I wanted to do that cheaply, and I wound up sort of not doing that cheaply, which was sort of what I said at the top of the show. I wind up moving right before the 110 pick is made into the 111 and 201 uh, that Curtis had, had traded away that we talked about. Same same. Uh, manager has both of these picks and I traded uh we, we got to talking and he said he liked uh AJ Dillon Cortland Sutton and David Njoku among players on my team and we talked about a couple different things I did not want to give up AJ Dillon who listeners of the show know that I'm very high on at the same time this is a roster that I, I've mentioned has Jonathan Taylor and we are shifting to best ball and so I kind of was thinking you know I 
I can afford to move off of AJ Dillon. I, I like Dillon in best ball because he's the kind of guy that obviously can have a hundred yard, two touchdown rushing game. He's also the kind of guy that can string together four catches in a game. And then he's going to have some games maybe where he's not used as much. And Aaron Jones is going to be great. But I was thinking this team wins with Jonathan Taylor already. And so if I'm locking in Jonathan Taylor sort of as my weekly star running back, I'm, I almost want to build a, you know, a modified zero RB dynasty roster. It's, it's not the end of the world to move off of Dylan and then have this plethora of, you know, you know, committee backs maybe, or guys that can do different things in best ball that might be able to fill my RB two spot every week and then be really deep everywhere else basically. Right. So that, the, that was sort of my mindset. It's like, okay, well I can move off Dylan if I need to, but I wound up packaging all three of these guys, Dylan, Sutton and Njoku. Like I said, I initially was willing to move Sutton and Njoku, and then I ended up adding Dylan. I got both the 111 and 201, and then uh, also a 2023 second, which I was I was trying to also get another early second round pick in this draft. But the interesting thing about the 2023 picks is with this dispersal we're going to, the 2023 picks are not going to be a part of the dispersal. They're just like auto-protected. And so by picking up that 2023 second, I basically move some value into a range where I'm not going to have to protect those picks and they'll be with me regardless. But yeah, I, I get to the 111 and 201. And then when I got on the clock, talked to the, the the manager at the 112 and basically said, hey, are you thinking about taking the quarterback? Because when Corral goes, now I wanted to make sure I got both Ritter and Howell, which frankly were my two favorite options. We've talked on the show a little bit. You, you talked about Howell last week and got me really excited about wanting to get him here. I already got Ritter in my other league, so I was going to take Howell uh, if I only got one of these guys. Um, but I also really like Ritter's potential and, and talked about that last week as well. But I, I talked to that manager, was able to move up the one pick from 201 to 112 because they weren't really interested in a QB by just using KJ Osborne, basically. And so essentially I end up moving AJ Dillon, Cortland Sutton, David Njoku, and KJ Osborne in a league that's moving to best ball and depth is important in best ball just to take these two quarterbacks, which there's a lot of risks with. And I know, again, from a value perspective, this is not exactly the value that we were talking about last year, or excuse me, last week, is what makes them appealing right now. I mean, this is fair value. They shouldn't necessarily be going any higher than this, but it is still two quarterbacks that I think have pretty decent long-term upside profiles and should get draft capital. And like I said, on this roster, all I had was Stafford, so now I'm back up to three quarterbacks. What do you think about the value of that trade? This one is fascinating and I like it, but you, you have to be aware of the risks because you're taking two somewhat wild cards for two established NFL players who are good players and are going to have real value for the next couple of years. The QBs you've drafted, as much as we like them, we've also stated that there are very real scenarios where their value was pretty minimal a little over a week from now. At the same time, there's also a scenario where a week from now, you wouldn't be able to trade A.J. Dillon for either one of them. You wouldn't be able to trade Cortland Sutton for either one of them. And getting that 2023 second, I think, balances this out nicely to where you have more potential scenarios, more potential pathways in which you could win. And Dylan and Sutton are both players I'm trying to move off of, even though I like, right? Cortland Sutton right now, 
you have this open-ended opportunity for I mean, people envision him as the potential just breakout star of this Denver Broncos offense with Russell Wilson. That's a fairly likely outcome. The other fairly likely outcome that is positive for people who have Sutton is just that he'll be good and a good player in that range with wide receivers, especially in best ball. You know, that has a lot of value for you. If he stays healthy for three, four years, it's going to be hard for that value not to pay off. But the other scenario, similar but a very different specifics than with Elijah Moore, is that either one, Russell Wilson does struggle a little bit because he gets a little bit older, the mobility drops down a tad bit, and as a result, he's not the same overall quarterback. But with that is the fact that there's a real chance that Jerry Judy is the breakout star of this offense. There's a real chance that Albert O is the breakout star of this offense. There is a legitimate chance that Tim Patrick takes more targets than we would really like and siphons off enough that those other guys don't make a huge impact. And there's this tiny little chance that KJ huge. Hamler, <laughs> huge chance, <laughs> huge chance that KJ Hamler is the star. I continue to take him in almost every draft. So we, we can know that, that it's tiny, tiny. With all of that, I think that you actually want to sell this upside scenario right now where you're getting good value out of it. A.J. Dillon is in a similar kind of situation to where once they really brought Aaron Jones back and made him the starter and the star, you're talking about a backup running back and or a committee running back. Probably the best committee back in the NFL you know, with Kareem Hunt, quite possibly, but you need things to go right for it to work out for him. He's moving along in his sort of dynasty trajectory. And one of the things that we talk about with the running backs, especially, is that you need to get them very young and very early because their best efficiency and their biggest scores are often early. Their ability to see the trade value rise comes early. And then the fall off. And anybody who has you know, someone like an Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, and you know what those guys are going for and you're talking about very recent superstars you can't get a ton for them and we think well okay well but aj Dillon is younger than that it's like yeah but you have to play the guy and then trade the guy before he gets to that point because then once he does get to that point you know it's too late and so even though aj Dillon, there's a lot of ways in which it could work out that he is an impact player in 2022. He is now into that portion of it, even though he's still young. We're like, yeah, now you still have to trade him before he gets, you know, over that, over that sort of goal line in terms of trade value. And so I like moving off of both of those guys, even though we like those guys. And so from that perspective, I think this is a win-win trade. I think that you've accomplished what you needed to accomplish because a super flex at some point you have to pay. It's not like you can just magically have quarterbacks. You have to pay. You have to find places where it's a good sort of risk-adjusted price. And as you mentioned, it would be great to have gotten these guys 203, 204. These are not bad prices. You, you have to be happy with what you've accomplished here. Yeah, I mean, my my hope obviously is that one or both of them lands in a good spot with good draft capital and is good. And if they are, we talked about this as well last week when we did the whole show on the quarterbacks, they're going to be first or second round startup values next year, probably second round, but you know, fields and Lance and those guys are right now and didn't even have necessarily good rookie years. They had much higher pre-draft expectations and then also good landing spot, 
I mean, draft capital especially, but pretty solid landing spots as well. Obviously, Lance hasn't gone on the field yet in his pretty good landing spot. And and Fields isn't necessarily in a great landing spot, but at least he was able to, you know, immediately become the franchise quarterback, which is a positive. But the draft capital for them is probably going to be better than either of Ritter and, and Howell and potentially a lot better. And, and so there is this concern that Ritter and Howell could be backups. Part of what led me to this trade, which I did think, you know, I, I was not excited about getting off Sutton or Dylan or whatever, but we have this interesting element with the upcoming dispersal where now I take these guys and there's a possibility, right, that Ritter or Howell falls in the second round, lands as, you know, clear backups or, uh, you know, sort of like what happened with Jordan Love a few years ago where they, you know, some team like the Packers picks them. Um, obviously, the Packers won't be doing that again, but you know that they're stuck behind a star quarterback for a, a period because we're doing this dispersal coming up and there's these protections and everything, you know, part of my mindset was like, well, there's this really wide range of potential outcomes in the NFL draft where they could land in some really great spots and their value could, could jump quite a bit right away. Like you said, even before they play, or if they land really poorly, I, I mean, obviously it's just a waste of resources, but I could just not protect them. And then it allows me to do something different in this dispersal that we're going to do up, upcoming. So part of me was like, okay, I'm taking on this risk, but, in the disaster outcome, I mean, I can just get off the off-ramp a little bit. I could maybe protect a lot fewer players and try to rebuild a lot of the roster. So it is a really unique element to this particular league, but it was part of something that I was considering with really wanting to get into the quarterbacks in this rookie draft was we think that there's a really basically wide range and, and more upside in the landing spot and the draft capital than people are realizing and then the value increase post-NFL draft. We also have to acknowledge that there's downside, but if we think that there is that upside and I can also potentially mitigate some of the losses, if there is downside, then, then I thought that was kind of interesting. So at this point I had taken Burks and Ritter and Howell, and I had the 207, 208 and 209 back to back to back. Cause I had traded for the 207 and the 209 and the 208 was my original pick. And a couple picks went by George Pickens and Isaiah Spiller and I was looking at it and counting up who I expected to go. I expected Sky Moore, Christian Watson, and Jahan Dotson to all go. I also expected Trey McBride to go before my pick. And it would leave me with three picks, a couple interesting names at 207 and 208 that I would like to take, including David Bell. Uh, and I really like Justin Ross and thought it would be he would be an interesting pick there. And then my other sort of potential 209 pick was going to be uh, the other tight end, Greg Dulcich, I think it is. But I wasn't necessarily thrilled about having the 209 at this point. And so I wound up moving back up to 203 with that 209 using, and similar to the KJ Osborne trade I described, again, unique circumstances here, probably not worth diving into as much as I am, but using Cedric Wilson and um, Gus Edwards in the trade. And those are two guys that I'm not sure I would have protected. Same with KJ Osborne. I'm not sure those are guys that on my roster that I was going to protect. So I was trying to, to move into a more, um, you know, clear protected type pick and uh, was able to, to trade the 209 to get up to the 203 and take Sky more over Dotson. Again, we talked about this last week on, on, on last week's show. So go back and listen. Uh, if you're curious about Sean's take on that, because I already asked you about whether you would take him over Watson, Christian Watson and Jahan Dotson. And they both went right behind Moore. And then Rashad White actually went one pick ahead of me. 
at 206, which I wasn't anticipating because there's some serious concern about his draft capital right now. Uh, and I was able to get Trey McBride at 207. I'm now sitting on the clock at 208. So, Sean, my initial Zach Wilson trade is complete now. And I wound up giving up Zach Wilson and the 108. So basically Zach Wilson and Chris Olave, as well as Gus Edwards, Cedric Wilson. And I got back Traylon Burks, Sky Moore, and Trey McBride in that trade or pair of trades, if you will. What do you think about how that panned out with what I wound up doing with the 207 and 209? I like it. It's been a big bonus for you that McBride fell to the 207 and gave you extra value that I don't think you could have counted on there. But looking specifically at the trade to be able to get out of Wilson, to get back into some QBs, and to get these specific guys. You know, regardless of whether you have more Watson or Dotson first, I think to be able to have a pick in that range is fantastic. That's what one of the areas of the draft that I think there is quite a bit of value. And then the players that you get rid of, I, I'm probably a little bit biased here because I'm lower than the community on Gus Edwards and Cedric Wilson, even though those guys are not, you know, big names. There are some very smart people who are still taking them in drafts and spots where I'm probably still off of them. You have the situation with Melvin Gordon, you know, how that potentially play out probably would hurt Gus Edwards a lot more than J.K. Dobbins. I don't know if Gus Edwards is going to stay on the team. Cedric Wilson is a guy that I've really liked. Even as a prospect, I was surprised that he was one of those guys, you know, the NFL teams weren't more interested in. He thrived with the Dallas when he got his chances. And yet, you know, once you're behind Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill, in Mike Kosicki in an offense where maybe your quarterback is a little bit limited and there might, it might be very run heavy, then you're getting to the edge. Like you mentioned, what it's understandable why you wouldn't protect those guys. So to use them to move up and to get from that two Oh nine, that could be tricky. Now we do have some guys that we like there. And I know you've got interesting decisions you have to make about the two Oh eight, but to move up there and have that be kind of the final piece of this trade, I think you've accomplished the things that you wanted to accomplish. And at the same time, I think all of those trades were very balanced and could work out well for both sides. Yeah, that's sort of how I felt. I, I had the exact same opinion on Wilson. I mean, unsurprisingly, you know, sort of with you in terms of him as a prospect, and that's why I had him on this roster. I was excited to see what he did in Dallas, was excited for his potential in Dallas, and he signs a big deal in Miami. It's like, okay, well, that could still be pretty promising. But once Hill lands there, for me, it just looks like a guy who's going to not be as an exciting a year from now in terms of, you know, the dynasty valuation as he is now, which is very hard for me to imagine him getting enough work. He'll probably have some sporadic solid plays as their third receiver. But I mean, so much is going to be concentrated on getting Hill going and getting Waddle going. And then, like you said, Gasicki is there still and, and is a valuable player as well. So, um, it's he was he was one that like you know I've always liked but was similar to how you were describing like the the Sutton and AJ Dillon situations where I think it's a good time to be moving if if possible I mean obviously he's not going to be somebody who's going to be valued incredibly highly but um, to move a couple of those types of pieces and Edwards you, you talked about as well to get to more I thought was a pretty big jump from who might have been there at two oh nine especially. If I, as I had expected, that the McBride might have gone before me, I obviously didn't know this 
before making that trade that that I was going to be looking at McBride and then potentially also still, you know, David Pell and Justin Ross or a couple other interesting receivers at this point. So it, it's been a really fun rookie draft. I, I, I'm going to leave it with Burks, Ritter, Howell, Sky Moore, and Trey McBride, which I think is a, a really nice haul. Some guys that I really like targeting. I gave up a lot of, of veteran value. I did add the 2023 second to make it all happen. But yeah, the key pieces gave up were Zach Wilson and AJ Dillon and Cortland Sutton and David Njoku and, and some others. But I think overall, I mean, this is a pretty decent example, right? I mean, I, I'm more curious about, I guess, your mindset on it, but a pretty decent example of how to reload in a rookie draft, right? I like it. And one of the things that you've demonstrated here is number one, it's fun to make a lot of moves in these rookie drafts. Number two, if you're willing to include players that and pieces that other people would want it's often possible to move around i mean every every draft in every league is a little bit different but don't assume that you can't get to where you want to be but have the willingness to take risks and offer pieces like a zach wilson now again i mean zach wilson's not a superstar but within the context of this format he's a piece that matters and that's one of the reasons why you know you immediately had someone reach out to you and ask kind of what you were thinking there Cortland Sutton, A.J. Dillon, pieces that matter. If you want to move around in these rookie drafts, offer pieces that'll let you do that, right? I mean, you can't do it for nothing. When people are trying to move in and I, I can't accomplish my objectives, it's like, you know, you can't offer a 31-year-old role player. That's not going to move you around. Offer pieces that matter, get younger, get players who have profiles and could take a big leap in value in the short term i mean we're talking about guys and we've been talking about guys over the last month who have things that jump out as saying this type of player translates well to the nfl a lot of other managers know this at this point so you're going to have some competition for those guys but also once you have them because people are aware of these traits that do translate as soon as you get buzz in the offseason as soon as you get that big play in the preseason as soon as the guy has a little elijah moorish stretch where he looks like a legit nfl player and maybe even an above average guy or a star then the potential for that value to really jump and to change the overall value of your team around is significant and so you want to have exposure to those guys so that you have a chance to really change your team whether you're in a rebuilding situation or you have sort of a mature competitive team, you know, we talk all the time about perpetual reloading. That's the way that it works. You get players to where when they have good plays in an NFL game, they get that value bump. And then you can look at it again. Do I need to move more of the value in the future? Can I package a couple guys to get a superstar? But the reloading element of it is what allows you to create that permanent championship window and compete for championships in your league. And with that, Ben, we'll get to the end of another fun episode of Stealing Bananas. I appreciate you sharing this league with me. A lot to go over. Tactically, we see uh, player valuations. We see guys move around. We talked about sort of calibrating our expectations pre-draft so we don't make too egregious of moves post-draft with all of the emotion that comes from that. Talked about prospects, talked about dynasty, talked about trade value. Had a lot of fun with this pre-NFL draft, rookie draft been in the league here with a lot of big names from the industry so we know that that one is going to be very tight in terms of how the draft itself progressed i'm sean siegel 
With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you're signed up for Stealing Signals and the NFL Draft and post-NFL Draft content that will be coming out there. As Ben mentioned in the intro, I've had the All the Metrics series coming out over the last week. You can check out a lot of the different tools and the sort of main pieces of actionable intel from the tools in that article, trying to make those a little bit simpler. So if you don't have hours to get in there and dive into the tools like some of us like to do, you can get the high points very quickly. And that can be a benefit as you're doing your last minute prep. And then if you're not a subscriber, you can get the 10% off by using the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. Ben, you and I did a an underdog league in the previous show that was a lot of fun I even had some people immediately reach out and say they recognized that we were in there and they were that sam howell pick was specifically to block us and so that's always kind of fun when you have people interacting already with those leagues based on what they've heard on stealing bananas when you sign up for underdog you can get the 100 deposit bonus up to 100 dollars. we're gonna have more underdog leagues for you soon we're really excited to get into our rotoviz triflex dynasty league rookie draft then as we looked at this particular league today i'm just thinking from that draft it is going to be the most fun draft that i've done in a long long time so we're looking forward to that over at the ffpc sign up to our feed you'll get these shows when they come out leave us a rating and review and tell ben that zach wilson is going to be the key to his future championships we appreciate all that you guys have done there we'll talk to you soon this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.